This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Let me start with uh, a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. Uh, thank you that you are all wise. I thank you that you encourage us as our good Father to come to you, to knock, to ask, to seek, to plead with you, to be persistent. Lord, you, you love to hear your, your children come to you. And this morning, Lord, we come to you and ask for your spirit to work. We come and ask for your word to be made clear to us. Lord, I pray that as your son speaks in the gospel of Luke, that we would hear his words. And like you said to, the, um, to John and Peter on the mountain, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Lord, we need your help and your spirit to truly listen to what your son is saying. So I pray that your spirit would work. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Help us listen to him so that we could have peace and we could have joy. And you need my pray. Amen. Amen. So we're uh, walking through the book of Luke. We're going to kind of be floating in uh, chapter 11 this morning, uh, kind of around that area in the parable that we just read. Um, and we're kind of in the section of Luke as we've been sort of, we're calling it like a, a little bit of a sketch of Luke. We're kind of as we walk through this uh, large gospel uh, even it's really just kind of part one because it includes Acts as well, the second part of Luke's great work. But as we walk through this large gospel, we've, we kind of started with Advent and this idea that it's the lowly, it's the humble, it's those who have genuine need that rejoice at the coming of Jesus. And then we spent a little bit of time talking about how Jesus is unique. Like he, he, he's not just another good teacher, he's God himself. And, he, and he's not just another, uh, he's not just God in the flesh. He's, a, he's the second Adam. He's, he's someone that's, that's created and, and uh, or, or, or you know, becomes incarnate, becomes a man. He's eternal. He becomes a man to represent all of humankind uh, in a unique way that Adam was designed to do. So he's our new representative. He's the one who is leading all of creation into the new creation, leading all of creation into restoration, into to restoring things the, in the way that they were broken in Adam. And then as we kind of followed Luke, we talked about uh, the idea of the way and connected it to the book of Proverbs where, where Jesus is sort of just explaining what, what his kingdom looks like. What does it look like to follow him? How, what is, what is the, the framework by which we can be disciples of Jesus? And what, is, what does wisdom look like uh, as, as we walk and as our lives are shaped in the way uh, that, that Jesus is shaped? And kind of the overarching theme for some of that was that it was, it was a, a way of suffering. There's suffering in that. But it's through, the beauty is that through that suffering, that that's our, the path, that's the way in which we have joy and peace in God himself. So there's purpose, there's intent, there's, there's beauty that can be found in the suffering as we, as we walk along the way. 
And now we're in this big section where things kind of shift a little bit. And Jesus has been doing his ministry and his, his time has come for him to go to Jerusalem. And we noted it in chapter 9, verse 51, where he says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so for the next 10 chapters, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to die. He's on his way to suffer in ways that we, we couldn't imagine. He's on his way to atone for us, to, to, to become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And so Luke covers this section as sort of this increasing amount of conflict as he's making his way towards Jerusalem. Luke covers this section more than any other gospel writer. So from chapter 9 to like 19. And then last week we talked about this idea, one of the dangers, the dangers is that we wouldn't rely on Christ, we wouldn't rely on his power, his ability to bring the kingdom. And he, he sends out the 72. He sends out the disciples, and it's like an image of what's happening in Jerusalem where all the nations are listed, the, the 72 nations who were dispersed at Babel because of sin. It's like Jesus is restoring that unity and, and bringing the new creation and reuniting all, not just Israel, but all of the world under his rule and reign. So the danger for us is to think that that's going to happen on our own power. And that's what we talked about last week. And so another danger that we're going to talk about this morning is probably, you know, I want to say this every week sometimes, is probably the most dangerous. I didn't say that last week, so I don't say that every week. It's probably the most dangerous. One of the dangers as we make our way to glory, as we make our way to the, the presence of God, the the idea of finding peace and joy and love in, in his presence with us as we make our way towards the, the first and best of all beings, the, the path to glory, one of the dangers, one of the most dangerous things for you and I as we make our way to God is the law. Amen. The law. The law is one of the most dangerous things. And I mean that in the same way we would say, like, technology is dangerous. I think about, uh, there's a movie coming out called Oppenheimer. I'm, like, pretty excited about it. Christopher Nolan, some actor, another actor, Cumberbatch or whatever his name is. <laughs> so, I don't, it looks cool. <laughs> I like when you, but, but, but think about nuclear technology, Right? Like, it's one of the most clean ways to produce energy. Like, absurdly more clean and efficient and how much energy can pump out. But, but why aren't we, like, kind of jumping on board full throttle with that, you know? Like, who wants a little nuclear plant in their house or something? <laughs> right? We know that that technology, as amazing as it is, as, uh, as beyond what we can even consider what is going on, as, as crazy as it is, also leveled cities, like destroyed people in, in ways that in the history of the world has only happened a couple of times. Like it's so destructive 
that treaties and nations and superpowers are like, hey, I hate you, but can we maybe just like hold off on this, like for both of us? <laughs> like it, it's a crazy technology. It's a crazy technology. But it does such wonderful things when we apply it in the right way. That's the law. Like the law will destroy you and those around you or it'll be part of your path to God. Those are your only two options. That's how dangerous the law is. It's interesting, if we go back a little bit in chapter 10, Jesus says, look, verse 25, uh, when we're in Luke, if you're new with us, we're in Luke, um, I just have your Bibles open in Luke and I'll try to give you some time and some reference. We don't usually put those on the screen, um, but I have a handful of verses where I'll kind of go off to somewhere else. Uh, uh, most of the time, I'll have those on the screen. <laughs> can't, can't promise perfection there. Jesus brings up the law. In verse 25 of chapter 10, he says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. And he said to him, What is written in the law? <laughs> how do you read it? Like, how do you understand what God has already revealed? If you're asking me this question. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Amen. He's quoting from Moses and summarizing the law, saying, do the law is what he's saying. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And then he goes on to say, okay, well, who's, if I have to love my neighbor, I better know who that is. Like he's kind of uneasy about that answer. And he's like, okay, well, I just want to make sure because this is a serious question. I want eternal life. And Jesus is saying, you're right, but who's my neighbor? Who should I love? And the way the parable goes, it's a good Samaritan parable. It's essentially like anyone that's in our sphere that's in, that's in need. And it's like, whoa, okay, that's pretty difficult. Like, how do I do that? How do I love in the parable? How do I love someone who I consider my enemy? We're not worthy of love. But he's, he, this is Jesus bringing up the law because it's important. And so in order for us to avoid the danger of the law, in order for us to use it as a power source to glory and not a nuclear bomb for myself and the people around me, there's a few things that we have to consider. So this morning, we're going to consider how do we put the law in the right place? There's a, there's a lot of doctrine. There's a lot of truths. There's a lot of good things. That, uh, hopefully, the idea of the gospel is coming to mind. That's important. So how do I put the law in the right place? One of the mistakes that we make is that we give the law the wrong power. And then we'll kind of wrap up um, with a sort of the concluding thing is if, we, if we're careful and, and use the law lawfully, maybe as Paul would say, there is an actual payoff. <laughs> like there's, there's good that comes from it. There's energy that's produced 
if we use the law properly. So let's look at how Jesus decides to teach us to pray in chapter 11. And this kind of gives us a clue of where we should put the law. Like what is the place that the law should hold in our thinking? Chapter 11, verse one, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, John the Baptist. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. It's a short version in Luke. There's more of it in, in the gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> it says your kingdom come, your will be done. There's, what's interesting though, if you look at what he's basically saying, they're asking about prayer. And Jesus says, when you start with prayer, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. When you start with prayer, you should, you should ask God to help you see him as holy, special, and unique and like nothing else. Like that's where you should start. You should start when you address your heavenly father by extolling his beautiful character. Amen. By, by reorienting your thoughts around who he is. That's where you should start when you pray. But the very next thing he says is your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And maybe that's one of those sort of like Christian-y things where it's like the kingdom of God, you know? What does that mean? <laughs> like we're gonna expand the kingdom. What, you know, cool. More people are happy, you know? <laughs> I'm not saying that those things are not related, but we're talking about, when we say the kingdom of God, we're talking about the rule and reign of a king who's in charge, who's sovereign over his land, who decides how things will be and destroys those who push back. <laughs> We're talking about a king who rules by his law. We're praying, Jesus says, on the top of the list of things I need you to pray for is that my rule and authority will happen. Amen. That's at the top of his list of our prayer requests. Lord, your rules be in place. I want to expand on that a little bit. I have some verse from Psalms chapter one. Most people think that the book of Psalms chapter one is like the introduction to one of the largest, the largest book in the Bible. And so much so that uh, in Jesus's time, there would have been like a Greek translation from Hebrew into Greek of that book of the Bible. They chapter one started in chapter two. <laughs> so there like, was like sort of like an intro, which was this, that sort of expanded upon what was being communicated through the, the rest of the book. So uh, when you do research, sometimes the chapters are off in the Psalms because the version of the, the translation of the Bible has been used in the past, numbered the Psalms differently. And so in the introduction, this is what, this is what the, 
This is how the largest book in the Old Testament started. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That kind of sounds like Jesus' prayer. Like this should be at the priority. The law is actually near the top. Delights, like, like enjoys. <clears throat> I delight in a really good sandwich that has melted cheese and all the things, you know, like Quiznos, but good, you know, anything like that. <laughs> Like the bread is perfect. Some of you guys went to Levin this morning, right? Yeah, see? <laughs> I see delight right here. <laughs> Can I read from you from Leviticus? Will I get the same look on your face? <laughs> look at what he's saying. I delight in your law. On it I meditate day and night. And what's interesting is chapter two in, in Psalms is talking about the kingdom and the king. And that's, this isn't on your screen, but chapter two says, be warned, O kings, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, the king, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Like his kingdom is going to be eternal and his rule and reign is going to be over everyone and everything. Obey or watch out. That's like the next verse in the Psalms. Let's go to Matthew chapter five. I think I have that on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota nor a dot, not a little tiny mark, we might say like a period or an eye, will be passed from the law until all is accomplished. And you might be thinking, see, look. The law is the most important, and Jesus does all that stuff. That's what he's for. I don't have to be super concerned about it. But he goes on. Therefore, whoever relaxes, whoever, anyone, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, unless, you're right, you're, unless who you are at your core, your goodness exceeds the, even the, 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 the religious people of the day, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus reminding us in a, another gospel, saying it in a different way, saying what the book of Psalms is saying, saying what he's saying in Luke, kind of the same thing. 
when you pray, at the top of your list should be your rule and reign come. Your laws are the most important. Your authority and what you say, how things should be, should be at the top of my list. I think there's a couple of reactions that we can have to this. We can say, that kind of is lame. If we think about what God tells us to do, (laughs) let me just flip back in a few pages in Luke. Take up your cross and follow me. I don't like that law. (laughs) I think there's, I mean, I've said this to people before. If you're a Christian and you're reading your Bible and you don't find anything that you don't like, you're not paying attention. Because of who we are, (laughs) like united to Christ, yes. Baptized and risen again in Christ, yes. But guess what? We're still in the presence of sin and it's in here too for, for everyone. So if God hasn't said something that kind of grades against you a little bit, you're not paying attention. God has spoken and said, look, I created everything. I designed everything. I have a particular way things should work, whether it's in the family, whether it's in society, whether it's how justice is done. I have a particular structure for things because I'm the one that made everything. I've communicated that to you. And on top of that, I have purpose. Like I'm going somewhere with it. And when he speaks in different areas in our life with his law, because of our sin, we say uh, no. (laughs) Or we avoid it. Or we just don't think about it. Or we make it something it's not. We write it off. I think that's one reaction, and that's a natural reaction, so don't hear me saying, if you're a Christian, you'll never have that reaction. If you're a Christian, you're going to have that reaction because you're exposing yourself to God's law, and you're going to say, you. It's something we say at home. I can't help that. Uh, it's that Jimmy Kimmel skit where he's like, ew, right? <laughs> like, that's what you're going to say when God's law shows up. You're going to be like, that's ew. Uh, Uh, um, I think another thing that we do and and this is where the Pharisees kind of come in a little bit another thing that when we do when we hear when we hear Jesus say pray that the law is the top priority and that you want my rule and reign to come I I I want Jesus to be in charge of everything I want the law to be at the top I think another response that we have is Sweet, I can usually do that. Why don't other people do that? I can can force myself if I have to, to obey what he's saying. I grew up in a private school, and I always say, you can beat people into submission, (laughs) because that's kind of how it worked for me. We had a lot of good kids 
go through our private school. We had like some of the best SAT scores and all the like things. But I can tell you the large majority of them that left once they didn't have to do all that went off the deep end. <laughs> like they looked great on the outside, but when they were no longer being forced to do God's law, it was like, woo, freedom. Another thing that I think we do along the same lines and the same reaction is we're, we're satisfied with like the, the obedience to God's law. Like how many things do we do because we know they're good? Like, well, this is good. But we like really don't want to. You know, like I'm not a fan of this, but it's good. God's it, you know. Like we do that. Like that just comes naturally. <laughs> Or maybe, you know, different personalities respond. Some people are just like, la, 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 la. <laughs> we just ignore it and pretend it's like not a thing. Another, well, you get the idea. When we say, when we pray, your kingdom come, when we're asking your rule and reign and your laws to be everywhere, to be, the, to, to be the thing that structures my life and the direction of where I'm going. When, I, when we're praying to ask you, God, to speak your rules into everything that's happening in the world, we can push back against that. That's what we do. Or we can just pretend that what we do on the outside is fine. I can force myself to do it. But that's not peace and joy. <laughs> That's not fun. I don't, that's not what God wants. I mean, I think about it in the light of a, uh, of a relationship, you know? Like if I told Bridget when she got back from a work trip, like, oh, I got you these things and I'm happy and, you know, all this stuff, but inside I hate that you're here. <sighs> That'd be a great relationship. <laughs> but I, I'm smiling. I got you stuff. I did the things, I cleaned the house or whatever. I don't know, I like to clean the house, so that'd be a selfish thing. But I hate that you're here. That wouldn't be acceptable. If you come to worship and you go through the motions and you sing and inside you're like, man, I wish I was someone else. That's not affections for God. If someone needs help or you're, you're tithing and you like hate it, but you have to do it or you go to serve someone and you're like, I might as well because I should. That's what you're doing. Like that's not God's kingdom. That's a, a measure of external obedience while you like suffer through it. But the danger the danger is that we're satisfied with either ignoring it or we're satisfied with doing it on the outside. And both of those things lead to disaster. You might as well be setting the timer on the nuclear bomb that's gonna go off in your life. That's the danger of the law. We, here's the thing. We see the law that way because Oftentimes we attribute to the law sort of the wrong power. We attribute to the law the wrong power. 
And here's where I'm going with that. We read this parable of, of sort of like the persistent guy, like knocking on the door and being like, give me the bread. Bro, I went to bed. My kids are in bed, you know? Like, don't wake the toddler. He's like, no, I need the bread. <clears throat> and he's like, oh, just to get him to go away, you'll give him the bread, you know? It's interesting that Jesus tells that parable right after how to pray. And here's what I think he's doing. I think if we take what he's saying seriously, if we're saying your kingdom come, your rule and reign be what I desire, what I want, what I long for, what I pursue, what I meditate on day and night, your law, that isn't going to come naturally. Like, we're not just, we don't just wake up in the morning and we're like, oh, I love God's law. JJ is so needy right now, and I haven't had any coffee. I can't wait to go sacrifice myself to him. <laughs> yes, I get to look like Jesus. It's six in the morning. Woo, you know, like, that's just not our heart when we, when we consider God's law. And Jesus is like, I know that. I know that that doesn't come naturally to you. So let me give you a little parable. Look at, and I'm not going to reread the whole thing. You get the idea. I like what he says, though, in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will he instead of a fish give him a serpent? Like some of the most ridiculous things. I love Jesus. Like, look, how much more clear can I say this? You're not going to do that. But I'm going to give you another example. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Like you're not, you're, you're, you don't even love God's law and you're not going to do that, right? <laughs> if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why the Holy Spirit? Because <laughs> I think when we read this, maybe this mouth speak for myself. When you read this parable about being persistent in prayer, where do we usually go? Like the thing we want. Like, Lord, I've gone to you over and over and over and over and over again, and you haven't given me this thing. <laughs> but that's not, what he, that's not what he says he'll give us. He says, the heavenly father will give you the Holy Spirit. Amen. What does that have to do with the law? Well, let's look at where Ezekiel 36, should have that verse on the screen. I'm going to find that book of the Bible. In the Old Testament, there were predictions about the Holy Spirit coming and doing some things. And here in chapter 36 of Ezekiel, we get one of those. 20, uh, I'll just look at, we'll just look at 26 real quick. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. It's kind of, a, kind of one that we're like familiar with. Like God will remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Like he'll change who we are from the inside. But, but Ezekiel expands on that in the next verse. says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now think about then why Jesus would say, the Father will give you the Spirit. When you pray, your kingdom come, Lord, your rule be over all the things. I want want your commandments to be something that I day and night value and love and delight in. He's like, yeah, that's impossible. But if you knock and seek and look, you're going to find, and your Father loves to give you the Holy Spirit. He loves to empower you with the third person of the Trinity and take out that heart that naturally looks at my laws and says, ew, and then delights in them. That loves it. That thinks that, that is, wants to pray, Lord, your law is so wonderful, so beautiful, so perfect, so complete. Lord, I pray that your rule and your reign and your law would just spread into every part of my life, into every part of my neighborhood, into every part of my city, into the whole world. This is like the best thing ever. So if you're persistent, if you ask, the law doesn't have the power to make you love it. It's not gonna change how you feel about it. But if you go to him and you're persistent and you realize that the law doesn't have the power, it's the wrong power, you realize that the Holy Spirit has the power. The Holy Spirit is actually able to change and transform your desires in a way that something you thought was annoying and wanted to avoid was now something that you love. That's the power of the Spirit. Amen. That's what, that's, and we have a supernatural religion that's capable of doing that. And if we don't see the law as the top priority, we don't examine our own hearts and realize sometimes we fake it till we make it. Sometimes we just ignore it because we don't like it. If we don't deal with that, we don't go to God and see the Holy Spirit actually change us inside. (laughs) Like we're the same This is the danger. This is why the law is so dangerous. Because it's so easy to be content with how much I love certain laws. You know, hey, I really like doing this thing as a Christian. I'm glad, glad God had me. I'm glad God cares about this. And then there's like some other things where we're like, remember this? I like this thing over here. Or we do the thing. We don't like to do the thing. And we're fine with that. But we just go through the motions. That's called burnout. <laughs> like, that's exhausting. But God is saying the law is exposing us where we need changing in here in the spirit. If we're persistent, if we ask, if we know where the power is, and we go to God and we're like, change me, <laughs> give me that bread. <laughs> Help me delight in your law. He's not going to give you a scorpion. (laughs) He's going to pour out his spirit and transform you and change you and say this thing that I was annoying before, this thing that I avoided before, this thing that I did but hated is now something that I delight in. 
I think from my own personal experience as a Christian, that is the most amazing thing to me. Like I can think of things that are despicable to me now that I loved before. And I can't believe that God has like changed the thing I like, the thing I desire. Like I grew up forcing myself to do it. And then I was one of those people that just off the deep end when I got out of school, you know? And I've told my, you know, a a family member who is not a Christian, I've been like, no, 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 no. All those things we're forced to do. No, I like to do it. (laughs) Like not all of them, (laughs) you know? But then I like, I want to, I'm not, I don't want you, don't do it if it's not something you don't want to do. I want to see you like to do it. I want to see God do crazy, miraculous things so that the thing you didn't like, you like to do. <laughs> like you love it. That's where you see God really work. And that's why I think the law is so both dangerous, but it can be like one of the most fruit producing, amazing, like nuclear power thing for your spiritual life when you see God change those things. I think that's why Jesus says, my burden is light. Or my yoke is light. My burden is light. <laughs> He's like, as soon as the spirit works to change what you desire, it's great. <laughs> that's what you should be pleading with the Lord to do. There is um, an actual payoff And Jesus kind of connects these dots. It's interesting. There's a couple right after this. He says, Father, give him the Holy Spirit to those who ask. In Luke 11, verse 14, there's a couple of instances with demons. And as we've been kind of taking this like broad view of Luke, the thing I've been asking a lot is not like, you know, you read a little story and you're like, okay, I, I get that little story. And then you go to the next story and you're like, I feel like that story should have something to do with the previous story, but I don't know how. <laughs> and you're like, Luke wasn't just like, man, I got all this great stuff about Jesus. Someone just threw it together. <laughs> you know, like there's thought that went into like, why do this, the, the things consecutively this way? And there's two stories about demons. One of them is where a guy is dumb, deaf, and blind Uh, if we take what Matthew said, but at least dumb and deaf in this particular, he can't hear or speak. And Jesus cast out the demon and he can, all of a sudden he can hear and speak and people are like, whoa, what? And I think what he's telling us is that you can't change things. You you are, if you are deaf and dumb, you're, you're more capable of fixing that for yourself than you are changing your heart and loving my law. Jesus is saying, but I'm all powerful. (laughs) I can actually do what is impossible. I can reorient you. I can pour out my spirit now that I'm risen from the dead and sitting on the throne and reorient your desires so that you love my law. And the next story is really interesting. Uh, Look in verse 24. We'll we'll read that because it's sort of like a, a contrast a contrast to the previous one, he says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. 
I'm not going to explain that. I don't know what that means. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. He says at the beginning, when the unclean spirit has gone out of the person. He doesn't say when that has been cast out. Like Jesus cast out demons and says, look, you're done here. I'm like, you got no authority. But when the demon goes out and you kind of tidy things up a little bit and then it all gets demolished later, he says the, the last state of the person is worse than the first. I think he's making the point about self-reform, like changing things on our own power. And other commentators draw that connection too. So there's this Aaron pulling it out of thin air. We have two demons here. One, Jesus cast out and miraculously transformed someone who couldn't hear to hear, who doesn't love the law to love the law. And here we have a demon go out. Jesus is not involved. And when it comes back, things are worse than the first. When we try to change things, when we try to tidy up our house, when we try to transform ourselves by our own power, and we, we kind of like put up with the things, especially the Christian things, and we do what we want to do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then it doesn't work out, we hate it more. Like the last state is worse than the first. And I've seen this so many times with people who, uh, lean into the community in a way because they're like, this is the good thing to do, you know? And they, you know, maybe it's just uh, us Enneagram 2s. We jump into like all the things and we're like, let's do all the things. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then all of a sudden, something happens. And now it's exhausting and lame and worse and I have to change everything. I think that's what Jesus is saying. When we work to reform ourselves by our own strength, and maybe we, the demon is gone and we tidy up the house a little bit, when things finally crumble, you're worse off than before. That's why the law is so dangerous. That's why he's saying, plead with me, plead with your father who loves you to give you the spirit, to change you from the inside, to make you desire and delight in my law. And then Jesus says in verse 27, he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. I told Bridget that my new goal in life is to hear someone yell that in a crowd in a meaningful way. <laughs> like what? <laughs> that's like, that's not, no one, no one is like, that's not how we throw out compliments anymore. Um, like the speaking well and highly of Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 28. But Jesus said, false. <laughs> like, no. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Amen. Blessed rather is those who hear my kingdom come, my rule and my reign. The, the how I've spoken, how things should be in the world, who hear my authority and do what I say. Blessed are those people. 
which is exactly what he was saying in, in Psalms. Blessed is the one who meditates day and night on my law. So where do we go from here? There's a couple of different avenues we could take. One of the things I've been asking myself is what are some of the things that I know to be true or I think God is calling me to do that I avoid or are annoying? Like what are some of the things that I know to be true or that I think God is calling me to do that I avoid because they're annoying. Or maybe they're just like, if I'm journaling, they're like, if I have time, you know, focus on the things that are, I'm all about right now, you know? Do you really believe that the Holy Spirit is capable of making those things a joy. Amen. And if the answer is no, that's a good place to start to ask for help. Like if you, do, Jesus says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And if you hear that and think, Nuh-uh. Start there. <laughs> say, Lord, help me. Because I can't. I can't look at your law and say, awesome. I can force myself to a certain extent. But if we knock and beg and are persistent and go to him and say, Lord, give me your spirit <laughs> so that I really believe the beginning, the here law is what will give me a blessing. Your design for the world is what will actually give me joy and peace. The things you tell me and call me to do are what will bring me into the presence of God. Because I'm struggling with that right now. I need help to believe that. If you're persistent with that, If a son asks for a fish, you won't give him a serpent. <laughs> he loves to give you good things. Your heavenly father, how much more will he love to give you that than we like to give good gifts to our friends and our children? The implied answer is like a bunch more because <laughs> he's way better than us. He loves to do that. <coughs> Another thing I think that I've done in the past is sometimes I will, there's certain scriptures that I don't like that much or that speak to the thing that is sort of annoying to me. And I'll, I'll write that scripture down and ask God 
Ask God to make that scripture something I really value. Amen. Or that I really believe. Or that it's really true about the situation that I'm in. I want to end with Paul kind of sums all this up in Romans chapter 8 I should have that verse for the screen oh there we go the law is top priority for the Lord super important but it doesn't have the power to change us to love it only the good news of the death and resurrection. We, we receive the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus in John says, it's better that I leave so that I can pour out the Spirit. <laughs> like, because I died and rose again, I'm sitting on the throne, and I'm not a king that forces my subjects to bend the knee and do what I say because I'm more powerful than them. I mean, he could. I think eventually he will. But he's like, I'm a king that died for you and is sending my spirit so that you love me. To like change the things that are wrong with you so that you're drawn to me. So Paul is saying in verse three, he says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, by, by the brokenness in the world could not do by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He defeated it. Why did he do all of that? It says in verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Died and rose again, sent the spirit so that the requirements of the law we could fulfill. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Amen. The payoff is blessing when we plead with God to send the spirit and transform us. That's the payoff. And what he's doing is he takes out that heart of stone and gives us that heart of flesh. <coughs> what he's doing in and through the spirit is demonstrating the character of Jesus in and through us. Like he's not changing you necessarily. He's actually bringing Jesus himself through the Holy Spirit to bear in and through you. Like he's displaying the character of Christ. When you desire something that God desires, that's not because you have something in and of yourself. It's because united to Jesus, now Jesus is demonstrating his character in and through you. He's the one that's working through you. And we think about Jesus, how much does he love God's law? He delights in it day and night. One of my favorite verses is where Jesus is teaching and the disciples are like, Jesus, we got to get some food. I'm starving to death. And he says, my food is to do the will of the Father. The thing that just refreshes me is to do God's will. 
Amen. That's the kind of thing that God is working in you. That's what the spirit is, is actually shaping and, and, bringing, and bringing forth inside of his, his believers, inside of those who are united to him. He's demonstrating the unimaginable, the beautiful, the character of Jesus Christ who loves the law, who delights in it, who is refreshed by it, who submitted to everything, even to the point of death, a death on a cross. That character, that heart is what he's demonstrating in his people through the Holy Spirit. That's the beauty of the gospel. So it doesn't matter how much you dislike it. It doesn't matter things that you've messed up. It doesn't matter that certain things that are good are just annoying to you. He knows that. They're not annoying to him. He loves it. And his Holy Spirit is working those things in and through you. That's what he's capable of doing. And we have to be careful. We can't lower the importance of the law. And we can't ignore our response to it. But if we see it for what it is, and we realize it doesn't have the power, Jesus and the Spirit has the power. And there's actual joy, there's actual love, there's actual peace. So there's actually more of the presence of God because we see more of Christ in us and in the people around us. And that's what we want. <laughs> That, that's what enables us on this path to glory. That's what equips us. That's what forms us, not into better selves, but forms us into the beautiful image of Jesus. I think that's awesome. And I think it's going to be amazing to see when you're knocking on the door saying, Jesus, make this something I love because you love it. And the spirit comes and changes and transforms you. You're not gonna say, well, I'm glad I got my act together. You're gonna say, look at what God did. That's amazing. Amen. And we can encourage each other with that. We can recognize what he's capable of. That's what I want. That's what I'm excited to see. Let's pray and ask God to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for just the wonders of your spirit. I thank you for the beauty of your son. Lord, I thank you that you are so much more powerful than we could imagine. But there are definitely things that I don't want to submit to or begrudgingly submit to. Lord, I pray that your spirit would Reveal that to me, to those in this room, towards your, your people. Help us see where we actually don't love your law, not to bring us low, but to transform us, to change us and exalt us into your presence. Thank you that that's how you work, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.